We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to another episode of the Budding Heads podcast from Rams Talk Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro. I'm here with Johnny Gomez. As always, the Rams are coming off probably their toughest fought win of the season. And today I am feeling spoiled as a Rams fan because I thought this game was a little too close for my liking. And then you know what? I was like, who am I to say that after the last 13 years? Johnny, how are you feeling about this victory we had? I'm pissed off. (laughs) <laughs> Here's the, where's the pitchforks? Where's the fire? Come on, formerly known as Mob Squad, let's get them. Hey, at least you don't have to go back on Twitter now because we didn't win by uh, 38 or whatever we we predicted on the show. Well, I I was a little lenient. I said 24 points, but I have a new challenge for the Rams. But I'll I'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> All right, well. We'll get there later. Well, before we get started, obviously, you can find us on a lot of podcast places such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, 
Google Play, Android, Player FM, and IEBeatRadio.com, Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific. And guys, if you follow us on Apple Podcasts, which I know most of you do, and you enjoy the show, or if you enjoy Derek's show or Rampage Radio, give our feed a five-star review. Give us a nice little review. You'll be entering yourself in a contest to win a $100 gift card to the NFLshop.com store. I believe that's the website, but you all know what I'm talking about. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, let's get into it. The Rams had a very tough-fought divisional victory here. I mentioned on the podcast last week that this had the makings of a trap game, and I stand by that, but neither Johnny nor I thought that we'd fall for the trap. And we definitely did. The Seahawks played very well. I give them credit. But it was the Rams came out of Seattle with a victory. It's a tough place to play. This is their third win in four years in Seattle. I watched this game in my car on a road trip, so I did see the whole thing. But, Johnny, I think you had a little bit more clear view of the game, I'm assuming. Let's get your initial reaction to this win. There was a lot of things going on in this game, particularly uh, the home field advantage, as you mentioned. Anytime you go to CenturyLink Field, it is not going to be an easy win or a win at all. I mean, let's be real here. There was a very, very real possibility that the Rams could have lost this game. And it took a very bold move by Sean McVay to actually win the game. So that that says a lot on its own right there. The 12th man was one of the biggest challenges for this team. You you saw it constantly when Jared Goff was just trying to scream the plays at, at the entire offense, you know, and then trying to get plays uh, from Sean McVay two was kind of a chore they had to use up all their timeouts early in the second half a little bit in the first half as well so this was not an easy win and the 12th man you know the Seahawks the Seahawks should be very thankful for them because while it wasn't the real reason why this game was close it was one of the factors for sure and then of course there was a lot of other outliers there as well you know the injury bug you know hit at the worst possible timing and the defense, though, is easily the biggest concern out of all of this. Just the rushing, the run defense was not very good. And it says a lot coming from the Seahawks run run offense because there just there really isn't anyone on this team that should be, you know, allowing 190 yards rushing total. That's not acceptable against a team like the Seahawks offense. So I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of being overly critical here, but I I don't think I am. I think this is a cause for concern going into the rest of the season. It has to be a cause for concern, and I will give the Seahawks some credit. In the last three weeks, they're 2-1, and obviously this was about as close to a win as you can get in the NFL because they've started to run the ball more. And it's, it's funny when you think about, like, obvious things teams should be doing help turn your team around but then you remember that the Seahawks coordinator on offense is Rams legendary coach Brian Schottenheimer and then you think obviously they're not doing the right thing for so long but I get kudos to him I guess he's done a good job getting the running game going Chris Carson and Mike Davis had a day against the Rams and they they have been producing in recent weeks Davis produced with Carson out and now both of them are out there, and they both had pretty good games. But, yeah, this it's pretty inexcusable from this defense. When you have three guys up front in Sue, Brockers, and Donald, 
who I know are more prominent when it comes to the pass rush, they should still be doing more work when it comes to the run defense. But really, I think this falls on the linebackers. And again, they were who we thought was the weak link going into the season. They were they've been probably the weak link during the season. I'll give give some props to Corey Littleton. He's he's having a good year. He really stepped up. But I mean, other than that, ebucam has been all right. He has his moments. Uh, Mark Barron came back this week, led the team in tackles. But again, it's unacceptable to have these guys running for so many yards on you. And I, it's this is the second straight week the defense has looked really bad. They weren't great against the Chargers, but that was a lot better than what we've seen. I guess the question for you is, is this a concern going forward about the defense now that we saw them get burnt by a good offense in Minnesota? And this week we saw them get burnt by a worse offense. Granted, an offense that had a lot to play for, had a big chip on their shoulder, and has one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But how concerned are you about this defense right now? I do think there are going to be certain things that the Rams are going to be able to you know, pick up as the season goes on. We've seen it last year with Wade Phillips. He, you know, they kind of had a struggling uh, first half. And then at, towards the end of the season, the defense just came together. And I, I suspect the same thing's going to happen this year as well. But there are certain things that Phillips can't do. I mean, he's an amazing defensive coordinator, but he can only do so much. And one of the things that I think you and I kind of talked about uh, at the start of the season was a concern and I think the majority of everyone really knows the concern for the Rams is that linebacker and it just showed it just showed that they um, they are struggling this is not the linebacking core that we really need at the moment and you know I, I'm gonna be a little bit fair because you know Mark Barron did come back from you know an injury and you know he he kind of came back not at a full 100%. There was actually talk going into the game that uh, he may not even play. So the fact that he stepped in and he played and, as you said, got, uh, you know, led the, the team in tackles, you know, that's that's very good. But at the same time, you, you really do have to think that they have to perform a lot better. And, you know, it wasn't just the linebackers also – it was kind of the secondary as well, particularly with Marcus Peters. I, I'm not sure if he's if he's not 100% yet, but this is kind of alarming because even though the, the wide receivers for the Seahawks are, I would say, a little bit on the underrated side, uh, I'm actually a huge fan of Tyler Lockett. I, I liked him coming out of college. I, I think this that was a great pickup for the Seahawks. But he was simply beat by so many times, and not just with Lockett either. I mean, I can almost make a argument with Lockett just because he's so quick, but he was um, beat by David Moore a couple times, and that's just – that's not – these aren't even elite wide receivers when it comes down to it. So sometimes I will give him the benefit of the doubt too because I think he should have had more help at safety. I think that was kind of the safety concern um, – Particularly when uh, when that pass that deep pass to uh, Lockett, they uh, he I think he should have had some help there, but he he didn't end up having help, and I think he was kind of relying on it, but that that didn't happen obviously. So it's not just that linebacker. I'm also kind of concerned at safety. Maybe the loss of Talib was more of a concern than we initially thought. But yeah, I, I mean 
seeing more of of Troy Hill too, who didn't do too bad. I will give credit where it's due. He he had a you know a couple of decent moments there, but seeing more of him, I I don't know if it's a good thing either. I'm glad you threw Troy Hill some props here because he obviously wasn't perfect, but for what we come to expect from Troy Hill, which usually isn't too much, I thought he played well out there. I saw him make. I noticed him a lot in a good way. And usually I'm out here noticing Troy Hill not in a good way. So I, it was pleasantly surprising to see Troy Hill and how he played. He played 83% of the snaps on defense, 50 snaps. Sam Shields only played 10, but he was banged up there with an injury. So it, w- it was nice to see Troy Hill play like that. Obviously it was not desired, but we still only gave up 198 yards through the air. But it felt it felt like more. It certainly felt like more than that. And I agree with you. The safety help was not there this week. Joyner and John Johnson didn't have their best day, but it happens. Bad games happen, and for us to come out of a win here, I'm happy with it. And I will say, they got Barron back. Hill, it basically hasn't played the all season. This is kind of his. That was kind of his first run. Peters is he's still not 100. percent I don't believe clearly. I'm not overly concerned with the defense because, as we've been mentioned, Seattle clearly had something to play for here. They got embarrassed last year, and they were not letting them that happen again. And that's why, going into the season, I had this loss. And I changed my mind. I got a little too optimistic, but it all worked out. We got the win. We're 5-0. So, yeah, I, I'm feeling all right about the defense, honestly. I mean, it's it should be better. It could be better, and I think it will be better. Denver next week is going to be a good test for this defense. It's, it's a game where there's not divisional implications. There's not really a ton of history outside of Case Keenum going against his former team, but I don't think he has bad blood towards the Rams, if I had to guess. So that, that'll that be an interesting one to watch and good test for the defense. But let's talk about the flip side here. On the offense side of the ball, we lost Brandon Cooks early to a concussion. We lost Cooper Cup later to a concussion. Both guys are hopeful that they'll be back next week, according to McVay today. It's it might be a long shot if I hope obviously it's with a concussion, you don't want to mess around with that. I hope if they aren't gonna be ready, we don't rush it. And I here's my point here. I kinda trust the receivers if those guys can't go for a week. How do you feel? The passing offense well, actually the majority of the offense in general was not a concern at all during this game. Obviously, you you want to have Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup uh, on uh, starting every game for you, but if it if it means their health, you know, I'd prefer that they sit out for a week. But you know, mm-hmm. even after they were gone, yeah, there was a there was a little less cohesiveness. You know, there wasn't as much confidence. I I would say that Goff had in the receivers. But at the same time, he still made it work. And, and your boy, Josh Reynolds, you know, the the one that we uh, we kind of buried last week. Yeah. He stepped up in a critical moment there. And although he didn't get the touchdown, he pretty much got them there. You know, he, he got some crucial receptions there, uh, back-to-back just about, and then had a 10-yard rush on top of that. And I was like, is this the same Josh Reynolds we've seen? I'm like, where the hell did he come from? So, you know, it was good to see that. It was nice to see uh, Kadero Hodge in there. You know, I I really think he's something special, and I, I really hope that this 
comes out to be something that the Rams end up arguing amongst each other who to keep on the roster because I think Hodge is something special and I'm happy to see that he's contributing. So um, if nothing else, maybe this will show what exactly the Rams have and maybe Hodge might be thrown into the mix a little bit more once uh, Cooks and Cup is healthy enough to come back. So no, I'm not. I'm not really all that that uh, concerned about the Rams' offense at all. Uh, the offense has been clicking since you know week one. I think I'm ready to forgive Josh Reynolds. We we might have been a little too hard on him for not catching a Johnny Hecker 50 yard pass. Uh, we we noted the lack of effort and he caught some flack. And I think when he really got put into put into the fire, I had to throw him out there mid-game, obviously him and Hodge, guys I don't expect to play much. Reynolds did all right. Yeah, like you said, he had the run, two catches, 39 yards. Kadero Hodge only caught one pass on one target, but it was a nice 14-yard play. I'm sure we both noticed him for how much we talked up that dude. But, yeah, Reynolds I was very happy with. Hodge made some nice plays, and I got to give a shout-out to Robert Woods, who seemed like – for the first four weeks of the season, he's kind of getting a little lost in the shuffle, even though he's been playing well just because of how well Cup and Cooks were doing. And even, even Cup, man, still finished the game with six receptions, 90 yards, and a touchdown. But Robert Woods, you could tell Goff was relying on him late in this game after Cup went out, and he just stepped up, man. He had a huge 56-yard run, made some big plays through the air. It was I was very impressed with him. And Jared Goff, obviously, you know, you look at, you look at his numbers, one touchdown, two interceptions, 321 yards. If you watch the game, one of those was a goal line interception, not his best throw, but it was aggressive and it got tipped and I wouldn't be a hundred percent on him. The other one was a hail Mary at the end of the half. And th- this offense, like you mentioned, is just on fire, man. They seem unstoppable. The first drive of the game, the Rams punted. Second drive of the game, they threw that pick on the one yard, the zero yard line on a on a drive that they basically lucked out in getting due to a, I believe it was Corey Littleton. Yeah, Corey Littleton on the punt block. And other than that, this is how the drives went: touchdown, field goal, touchdown, hail mary interception at the end of the half, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, run the clock out. We saw Johnny Hecker once. I mean, this offense, and I'm going to save some of these offensive takes for the Denver segment because there's a lot to to break down when it comes to that Denver defense and this Rams offense and kind of whatever the opposite of a Clash of the Titans would be after this week. I'm so happy that we have this offense, and we alluded to it earlier, and now, now we have to talk about it, and that is the call by Sean McVay to go for it fourth and one. Now, it was a short one, as, as Jason Garrett said about the Cowboys game. They had a long one. We had a short one. But they were on the Rams' own 42-yard line. One minute and 39 seconds left in the game. If the Rams don't get that, the Seahawks are like five yards away from being in field goal range for Sebastian Janikowski. I want to know what your thought process was after the timeout when the offense trotted onto the field, and then what your thought process was after the play happened. Going up there, I was hoping to see that McVay would make this call just because it, it shows a lot for, for McVay to make this call. Not only does it show that he has 
I don't know if I should say this, uh, but, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say it anyway. It shows that he had balls, you know? You should say it. That's what everyone's been saying. It's true. It's absolutely true. You look at our past coaching and, you know, looking at guys like Jeff Fisher, do you think if Fisher's put in this situation that he would make the same call? I don't. And that's the biggest problem. That's the biggest problem with our past coaching staff is they had no faith in this team. And basically McVeigh took all the energy that he saw on the sidelines and was like, you know what? F it, man. I'm going to go for it on fourth and one. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to see what our team is capable of. And he did. And it, it was obviously the right call there because they, they made it very, uh, made it very easily actually so i i think i have no issues with the call it was risky it was a bold move by you know no questions asked especially because as you said it was very close to within kicking range of sebastian janikowski and on top of that <laughs> the way the defense was playing it wasn't uh wasn't looking too promising if they didn't convert but at the end of the day it was the right call and I'm I'm really grateful for this because had the Rams punted the ball, it could have been a very different result. So they went for the for sure win, got it. Couldn't be any more proud of this team. I yeah, I will say this: the defense had come along. They had two really good back-to-back possessions to kind of put the Rams in that position. So. I think part of it was Sean McVay betting on the defense finally getting it together and that they were the defense we expected to see all game. But also, it it seemed like, and Sean McVay said this um, after the game, that the players' reactions kind of got him to make this call. And also, you could tell after Jared Goff got that first down just how animated he was that he was probably the one calling for this play because he clearly had some faith that he would get it done. I'm not going to sit here and act like when the offense trotted back out on the field that I was thrilled about it. I was a little worried. As we mentioned, they were basically in field goal range for Janikowski if they didn't get that. But it was a call, like you mentioned, that the Rams, it was just ballsy, man. It was gutsy. And when you have the best offense in football, those are the calls you should be making. Put the faith in them to get half of a yard because – they were capable of it, man, and it was just so nice to see that they actually went for that, and they got it, and I mean, man, if he doesn't get that, we might be having a completely different conversation, but you know what? He did get it, so it doesn't matter, right, <laughs> and I think I think with that about said, we could get wrapped up here, but you got any final thoughts on this win? The only thing I have to say is I had so many friends that are Seahawks fans calling and texting me the whole time that I was watching this game. And I was like, man, I can't even text back and saying, you know, that that, that uh, the Rams are going to get this because uh, there was a very real possibility that they lose this game. But in the end, ha, we got it. <laughs> it's always nice to beat the Seahawks. And shout out to them for making it a fun game. But they can have their moral victory. We had enough of them. Enjoy it, guys. Enjoy that moral victory. <laughs> All right, before we get to the next topic, I want to talk about Jim Hawk 
one of our sponsors in his book, Hollywood Scene, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. If you want to learn about the history of the Los Angeles Rams, with a bit of a personal touch here, this is the book you want to check out. This book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out a son's story of his father and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Tom Fears, Les Richter, and this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. If you want to get your hands on it, you can find Hawk's book online at HollywoodSteam.com. You can follow them on Twitter at HollywoodSteam. It's also available in both hardback and electronic form on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, if that's where you normally shop for your books. You can also find his book through various other booksellers on the internet. Guys, this is an awesome book. It's worth every penny for Rams fans out there. But it's also just a great story in general about a person's father and the legacy he left behind. Trust me, guys, you won't regret buying this. Once again, it's Hollywood's team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's definitely worth your time. All right, we touched on the NFC West last week, but after a big divisional win for the Rams to put them at 2-0 in the division, let's take another look around the division. The Rams are 5-0. The Seahawks are two and three, the 49ers are one and four, and out of the gutter come the Arizona Cardinals with their first victory of the season. They are now one and four, and I think we could say that the Cardinals aren't the worst team in the division anymore. I think we can give that title to our friends in Arizona. And Johnny, I just want to let you know this and our listeners, if they're not aware, so they can kind of plan accordingly and watch a little less football over the next couple weeks. Did you know the 49ers over the next five weeks play in four primetime games? Really? I had no idea. Four. How do we let that happen? I don't care if Jimmy Garoppolo is even healthy. Like They won, what, six games last year? Why did we schedule them for four primetime games, let alone in the same span? And I'm I'm going to double check this now, but I'm pretty sure that, yep, they have one more later in the season with Seattle in a Sunday night game that hopefully we can flex out of that. That is in week 13. I mean, next Monday they got Green Bay, primetime. Then we play them the week after, primetime, Sunday night football. Then they have a regular game. Then the Thursday night game against Oakland. And then the Monday night game against the Giants the week after. So somehow – we thought it was a good idea to put the 49ers in two Monday night football games in five weeks, in addition to a Sunday night game, and everyone gets a Thursday night. So that is what it is. But how do we let this happen, man? I mean, do you think there's any hope for the Niners at all? To At this point, without Garoppolo, I don't know if they'll win more than three games. I just, you know, that I'm still stunned. Like, honestly, I'm kind of speechless that they get so much primetime spot. I really think that maybe the NFL might have thought that the 49ers would be something special under Garoppolo. But even with Garoppolo, it didn't even appear that the 49ers were going to be anything that special, maybe improved compared to last year. But that isn't saying a whole lot. Definitely not worthy of seeing five primetime spots. I I, I don't know. That's uh, it's a bit excessive for me. But, uh, hey, why not? You know, the the Rams will continue to win games, and 49ers, yeah, good luck win, winning a few games. I mean, 
I, I'm still at a loss at that. It's it, it's honestly unbelievable. Like I doing the prep for the show today, I, I looked at that and I I could not believe that we actually put them in that many primetime games. I mean, mean for reference, the Cardinals have one more primetime game for the rest of the season, and that is a Thursday night game against the Broncos. So that's a Thursday night game. I I get the hype around the 49ers this year. I thought they'd be pretty good if obviously they had a lot of injuries, and I thought they'd be all right, but not a team I want to watch five times in primetime at all. <laughs> like, that is ridiculous. So I will put this to you. Do you think there's any chance any of these other NFC West teams make the playoffs right now? You know, I'll give credit where it's due. I think the Seahawks performed really well despite the loss. I, I wouldn't put it past them just because, you know, even though they're two and three, the record seems kind of bad at the moment, but it's still very early on in the season. And I think if they can continue to develop the way they were, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make the playoffs. As far as the 49ers or the Cardinals, good luck. No, uh, that's not happening. The Cardinals have a tough schedule, man. There's no other way to put it. Even if they kind of start to build some wins here, it's it's just a tough path for them to make the playoffs. After their bye week in week nine, they still have to play Kansas City. They still have to play the Chargers. They still have to play in Green Bay. They still have to play the Falcons, who that's another topic. They might not even be good by then. And they still have to play us, and then they close the season at Seattle. So that's not happening unless Josh Rosen really turns into something special. And to his credit, he looked good, but I don't see that happening. And I I think the Seahawks could string something together because they've had two good games in a row, or three good games, I should say. Just one of them was a loss. And their schedule for the rest of the year isn't brutal. They still have to play the Chiefs, Vikings, us again. Um, Packers, but they have them at home at the Panthers, at, at the Chargers. I mean, more likely than not, I think our division got a a pretty tough draw this year, schedule wise, and they're not the teams I'm picking for the playoffs. But I think that being said, we should open it up as a whole to the whole conference. And right now, the Rams are head and shoulders, I think, above the rest. Now, the Saints, as we're doing this podcast, are embarrassing the Washington Redskins on Monday Night Football. And the Redskins obviously had a pretty good record going to this game. They'll be 2-2 two and two after. The Saints will be 4-1. and one. And for me, I'll start here because I want to talk about the teams that scare us here. I'm not going to count out the Eagles yet, but I'm not too worried about them right now. The Bears, while I am worried about that defense and how that will play out, and that game in December is going to be a fun one. I need to see another good performance from their offense before I really count them in. And the Saints, that's the team I'm most scared of right now. And I'm not too scared because I think that defense, I mean, if they keep playing like this, maybe they'll get it together. But they've had some tough games. They obviously got torched by Fitzmagic in week one. I'm they, Defense doesn't scare me. And when a team's defense doesn't scare me right now, I feel good going into the game as a Rams fan because we're torching everybody. What what teams in the NFC, if any, uh, are would you be nervous about facing in the playoffs? Well, the uh, the Saints you brought up is definitely a concern to me, just because uh, offense to offense, that's going to be 
that might be a shootout for sure. I'd agree with you. The defense doesn't scare me at all, really. But then again, there aren't too many defenses in the league in general that really scare me uh, going against the Rams offense. This is clearly one of the best offenses in the league. And as long as they stay healthy, um, I'm not all that concerned. But um, I, I would still say the Saints. In fact, before the season had even started, I would I predicted the Rams to go 14 and two, with one of the main losses going to against the New Orleans Saints. So that that game does scare me. I, I do think it's a winnable game, obviously, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Rams don't win the game because, you know, the, especially the way the defense has been playing lately and the the insane way Drew Brees has been playing lately, it's, it's going to be a lot closer than people realize. The other team I would probably go with would be probably the Bears. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you. The offense doesn't really scare me too much. Just because I I'm still not a buyer in Trubisky, you know I I he had that one amazing performance, but I'm not that confident with Trubisky as a as a quarterback. At least not yet. He still has some years to go before he might become that player. He could be in like that Jared Goff, you know, early stage where he hasn't really developed quite yet. But the running backs I feel like are very underrated. I think. Howard and Cohen are very undervalued running backs. I feel that this, they could, you know, cause a threat, especially against our run defense. So that is something to keep an eye out on as well. And this defense is probably one of the better defenses in football. So, uh, you know, going up against uh, a high-powered Rams offense, that will be a huge test. And if the Rams still managed to score 30 points on them this is a real offense i am a little nervous about jordan howard in a bad way though to be honest and if you own him in fantasy you should check out my article on rotoballer that i wrote last week about jordan howard and the prospects moving forward but yeah just from a real life perspective Tariq cohen looked really good in their last game and that tandem of him and howard is definitely formidable but uh, to be honest I think where I see the Bears going is kind of similar to us last year, even though they don't have the offense that we had, obviously. But in more of the terms that I would bet on the Rams and the Saints to get the buys right now. And I think the Bears, even if they win their division, they're probably in the first round going to be going up against either the Eagles, the Packers, the Vikings, the Panthers, maybe New Atlanta if they get it together. But really, my point is they're going to be going up against a battle-tested, good football team with a lot of vets that have played in a lot of playoff games. You know, particularly look at the Eagles and the Packers. I can't imagine Aaron Rodgers losing to the Bears in the playoffs this year. I don't care how bad the Packers are. I don't even know if the Packers are going to make the playoffs. But if they do, I cannot imagine a world where Aaron Rodgers walks into Soldier Field and doesn't walk out with a win. I think I would bet on the Eagles if they get there to beat the Packers. But I think, honestly, I still might bet on them to win in the division. Sorry, not the Packers, the Bears. But I think most likely the Bears would get one of those teams in their divisions, the Packers, the Vikings. And it'd be tough for me to bet on them against either of those teams. So I don't think we're going to get them in the playoffs, man. But obviously that defense is scary. And the Saints, man, they are, they are looking good right now. 
come Mark Ingram's back. They're using him as as an Albert Kamara owner. I don't love it, but that's going to make them a lot scarier on offense to add another weapon like that in that. Then obviously they have Drew Brees, just broke the all-time passing record for passing yards, so congrats to him. But that's going to be interesting. Now I want to ask you this quickly too. The Chiefs won again. They're 5-0. and You still giving us the edge in that matchup? Uh, I'll say this. The Chiefs did actually beat a very good uh, Jaguars team and beat them pretty decisively. So this is a much better team than I think anybody had envisioned coming into this season. But um, I, I'm still confident that the Rams could beat the, the Chiefs. In fact, I, I would even argue that if the Chiefs go up against the Saints, which I, I'm not sure, I'd have to look that up, but um, if the Chiefs were to go up against the Saints, I'm not confident that the Chiefs could beat the Saints. It would be interesting. They won't play the Saints this year, though, because obviously our division is playing the, the Chiefs and we got the conference barrier, but that would be a fun Super Bowl if the Rams aren't in it, but I think we will be. But I think when it comes to people doubting the Chiefs because of their franchise history and whatnot, and you know the fact that Andy Reid is prone to being the most randomly just not coaching well at times, Pat Mahomes is a lot better than Alex Smith. No disrespect to Alex Smith, but Mahomes has been unreal, and that offense is churning. And I do give us a slight edge because we have the better defense, but... That Chiefs team is damn good, and their matchup against the Patriots next week on Sunday Night Football, that's going to be a fun one to watch. I'm excited to tune in that, even though I don't particularly like watching the Patriots. Kind of bored of them, but if the Chiefs can go in there and hand it to the Patriots, and they'd have wins against Jacksonville and New England in back-to-back weeks, that is pretty damn impressive. And that Week 11 matchup between us and them is going to be a hell of a game down in Mexico City. But... With that, we're going to have to talk about another team in the AFC West. But first, we're going to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor at the Golden Brand Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area, you like that old-school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Brand Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. The zip code on that is 92683. Sal Martinez opened his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis, and he's kept the lights on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS. Again, 714-894-7267. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows who sent you, and he'll give you a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Saturdays from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Sundays, he's watching football, and the good news for Sal is his shop is usually closed just in time to catch those 49er primetime games. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to his shop is worth it, not only to enjoy all the ridiculously awesome Rams memorabilia he's gotten there, but just to have an old-school barbershop experience with a guy like Sal who's going to talk Rams football with you and anything else. Trust me, guys, you won't regret it. It'll make you look good. All right, so I had to probably quadruple take at the box score of the Broncos-Jets game last week, and I had to talk to some Jets fans about it because I just – could not believe my eyes at this game. The Jets defeated Denver 34 to 16. They ran for 323 yards. Isaiah Crowell ran 15 times for 219 yards and one touchdown. Now he had a 77 yard touchdown run. If you take that away, 
Isaiah Crowell still ran the ball 14 times for over 150 yards. Bilal Powell, 20 rushes for 99 yards. Now, Johnny, I'm going to look up something real quick. The all-time single-game rushing record was sent by Adrian Peterson with 296 yards back in 2007. Do you think that Todd Gurley can break this record against Denver on Sunday, seeing as Bilal Powell and Isaiah Crowell combined for 323 yards against this defense? As a fan, I would say absolutely. But as a realist, I'm going to say no. Just because I think that the Rams' offense has kind of shifted away from the rushing attack. It's still there, don't get me wrong. It's just that the way McVay has the offense set up and the way the success that the offense has had recently, I think that there's still a passing offense. Now, obviously, that kind of changes if they're going to shut down Goff, but I don't see that happening either. So I will say that I expect Gurley to have a very big game, but I don't know if I could confidently say they break the you know single game rushing record just because of the type of offense they have. I wouldn't. I, I'd be more confident in saying that he has over 200 yards rushing. Yeah, he's he's probably not going to break the single game rushing record, but I had to put it out there because if Crowell can get 215, I think Gurley might be able to hit 300. But he's going to have a day. And honestly, you mentioned that they moved away from the running game a little bit, and in a way, they kind of have. But the Rams are sneaky six in the league in rushing yards, and Todd Gurley is second in the league overall in rushing yards. He's going to have a big day, and I know they've been passing a lot, but they should rely on Todd Gurley. And I just can't get over the fact that these Jets numbers, man, these are absolutely insane. <laughs> I This is almost more ridiculous to me than the, the 49ers playing in five primetime games, but... I, the this game is in Denver, and I will give them some credit. Denver is a tough place to play. Obviously, the high altitude and a good fan base. The Rams are three and three all time in Denver. Do you think there's any concerns that the environment might kind of wear down the Rams defense, or sorry, not the defense, the offense, seeing as they don't really make much substitutions and it's kind of the same guys out there the whole game? Uh, well. Before I answer your question, I'm going to say something very off topic here. Steve, I think it's going to be a requirement that you give me a ridiculous uh, fact, you know, every week from now on. Just <laughs> like because... <how> they... <laughs> yeah, just you're, you're giving me these ridiculous stats from the Jets, and then you're talk, talking about the 49ers primetime. Yeah, make that your mission to, to bring us all, you know, ridiculous stats because this is hell of entertaining. But, okay. <laughs> Enough of that. The Rams, um, yeah. I got to say, the my stat that the Rams are 3-3 three and three all time in Denver might be one of the most useless stats I've ever thrown on in this podcast. Like, what does that matter at all that over the last 50 years, they're 3-3 three and three in Denver? But continue. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though. I mean, I didn't realize the Rams have only played, you know, six times in Denver. So that that's interesting to me. But then again, I'm a nerd. So that, there you go. High altitude is a concern for any sport. 
you know, but you're talking about sport like football that requires so much stamina and especially being asked of, you know, like a, a running back to do this. And maybe uh, at your uh, expectations there, Steve, I, I don't know if uh, Gurley wants to hit 300 yards rushing just <laughs> just because of the altitude alone. But yeah that's a, that's an awful lot of running I, I think think Gurley will be like all right I ain't playing next week you know we got the 49ers so we're good no I ain't playing next week but um yeah I mean not just not just the offense either is a concern it's defense as well um you know if we're gonna stay on the offensive side of the ball you got to think about the bigger guys, you know, up front to help uh, create the holes. That does take a lot of energy doing all the blocking, containing all the bigger guys on, on defense to protect our quarterback, the running back. So that's going to affect them. You, you can expect a lot of substitutions that game because of that. Uh, on defensive side of the ball, same thing. You got to expect, you know, guys like the cornerbacks constantly out there, you know, trying to keep up with the wide receivers and the whole pass interference thing that we constantly being called for yeah that um <laughs> that's definitely a concern in the altitude too so a lot to think about especially because this is happening very very soon this is going to be a different environment and it will affect the game one way or another yeah absolutely and especially when one team isn't used to playing in that environment i, I think we even if cup and, and cooks are healthy Seeing as they're probably not going to get a full week of practice, we might need to mix in a little more Josh Reynolds, maybe a sprinkling of Kaderil Hodge in there, just to kind of relieve some some pressure there. And I pulled this up because it needs to be said, and I'm sure Todd Gurley is going to think about this watching tape. His career high in rushing yards is 159 yards. Do you know when he got that, by the way? That is a good question. Uh I'm going to say probably against maybe the 49ers. He got it in his second career start against Green Bay as a rookie, which is kind of wild that he hasn't topped that yet. Last year in Seattle, 152 yards is a close second. 159 yards. I think Todd Gurley is going to watch some tape of that Jets game this week, look up what his career high is, and then tell McVay he would like to try and break it this week. But – yeah, it, it might be tough in Denver just due to that altitude, but man, they gotta be he's gotta be licking his chops after watching that Jets footage. But yeah, I would like to see a couple more rotations on both sides of the ball. Get keep the guys fresh, keep them loose, because it's gonna be a tough anyways, we did just touch on the defense there. Now, obviously this is a defense that has had back to back tough days. And last week on those last two drives, as I mentioned earlier, I saw some promise of what the defense should be like. So a lot of nice plays from Dominican Sue and some of the other guys. But there's no denying that this defense is struggling right now. And Denver has a nice running game. They're in the top five in rushing yards in the league. A good group of wide receivers when you only have Marcus Peters and no Tlaib, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, they're going to be kind of tougher to guard. And a quarterback who's definitely familiar with some of these guys on our defense in Case Keenum, who practiced against him for a couple of years. How worried are you about our defense right now in this matchup? It's a concern for sure. You know, I, I do have a lot of faith in the defense to contain this offense, but it, it, it's not going to be easy because I do think Demarius Thomas is going to step up 
you know, eventually last week he had a decent game. Emmanuel Sanders is kind of that guy where he will sneak in and do a lot of damage. So that's that's another guy to be aware of. And I, I think this running back core is young but dangerous when uh, when they want to be. And if they end up becoming that dangerous running back core that I think they can potentially be, that could be bad news for this uh, defense that was struggling against, you know, a Seahawks running attack. So uh, it's it's a concern, but I'm I'm not all that concerned. I think uh, overall that the Rams will be able to contain them, but they they do need to step up quite a bit. They do need to put a lot of pressure on Keenum. And I, I'm not all that concerned about establishing pressure on Keenum. I just hope he continues to like float the balls like he was when he was in, uh, in on the Rams there. I agree. That would be nice. Uh, this is going to be a good test for the Rams. And I feel like I mentioned already, but they go from playing a really good Vikings offense and getting torched to a not great Seattle offense, but obviously they, that's – that's a rivalry, man. They had something to play. Denver is, is a good test to see where this defense head is at right now and if they can really rebound. They ran for over 100 yards as a team in four of their first five games, last week being the exception because game flow was not on their side in that blowout against the Jets. The passing offense has been all right. Um, Case Keenum, I think he's been Case Keenum, not – Viking super case Keenum, but kind of just good old occasionally good game case Keenum. And it'll be interesting to see how he plays up against his former team. I know I mentioned he has gone a lot against a lot of these guys in practice, but there's a lot of new faces on this defense. And he knows Mark Barron, he knows Donald, he knows Brockers, he knows Joyner, but other than that, he probably knows Troy Hill all too well, unfortunately. But other than that, there's <laughs> some new. <laughs> There's some new faces there, but this, the Rams desperately need to put the clamps. Shout out to Jonas Jenkins again, as always. Put the clamps on the Broncos rushing game this week. We need to see them lock that up because last week was kind of unacceptable. And I think the pass, we just need to see them lock it up on everything. And I'm not super confident that they will the whole game, but I'm hoping that. We really do get the Wade halftime adjustments this week, and maybe the Broncos score once or twice in the first half, and then we kind of hold them down. We see Marcus Peters being the Marcus Peters that we saw early in the season and the one that we traded for. Maybe we see Troy Hill or Sam Shields step it up. We see those safeties get back to form, and I'm hopeful that that happens, and I think it's a test that needs to happen because if, if they can't get it together this week, there's going to be some tougher games coming up in the future, most notably Aaron Rodgers and the Chiefs. And I I mean, next week we got a primetime game with the 49ers, so I don't think anyone's worried about that. But the defense needs to show up this week. And for my prediction, I think they kind of show up, but I do think Denver still gets some points in. And the most optimistic prediction I could give here is a – 34 to 23 victory simply because I do not have any concerns about the Rams offense going against this Denver defense. They were Swiss cheese all week last week against a Jets offense that has not been fantastic this year and definitely hasn't been fantastic since that week one beating of Detroit. 
I think Jared Goff is going to have a day. I think Todd Gurley is going to have an even better day, regardless of whether Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks are out there. I give this a 34-23 victory for the Rams. What do you got? I'm going to go slightly higher as I normally do. Uh, 45-21 Rams. Uh, Yeah, there's no reason why the Rams can't uh, win this game offensively. The only part of my prediction that I'm not confident in is the uh, 21 part. Might be a little bit more. Hopefully not, but we'll see. We will see, and we have to announce, Shani, that you will be on vacation for the next two shows. So those games are the 49ers and the Packers. Do you have any thoughts you want to get out there, any takes before, as you will not be here for the previews? Yes, I am actually going to Taiwan, so I am going to try. Yeah, I'm going to try and um, watch the game. Uh, I actually looked at it recently um, to see what time the – the game would start over there this upcoming game which is a one o'clock game so that's would be four o'clock in the morning on on monday on their monday so i'm like yeah that's probably not happening (laughs) but um yeah I, i am gonna probably record the games and you know watch it and probably cuss and you know all that good stuff still you know probably Uh, much later down the line but we'll see but as for my challenge to the rams and uh to make my return back to twitter guys i actually wanted to return to twitter i was hoping that the rams would uh fulfill my promise but sadly they did not my uh if you guys didn't tune in last week my promise was if they scored i think it was 24 points or something like that uh if they won by 24 points or more that I would return to Twitter, and I I thought for sure that was going to happen. That I, was, I couldn't be any more wrong. So my challenge to the Rams this time is if they are 7-0 and when I come back to the U.S., I will come back to Twitter. Wow. Okay. I like it, and truthfully, I think they will be. I will be very upset if we lose to the 49ers in that game, especially after this podcast. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and also I'm definitely not waking up at 4 a.m. to watch Case Keenum play. And no offense to my guy there, but uh, that's not happening. And hopefully by the time you get back, Greg Zerline will be back. But we'll give a quick shout out to Cairo Santos. Missed a kick early, came back, and he got the job done for us when it mattered. But with that, we're going to get some guest hosts in here in the next two weeks. So hopefully we'll get good shows together, and then Johnny will be back after that Green Bay Packer game. And don't forget to follow Johnny on Twitter at johnny 5 6 for the inevitable return when the Rams are 7-0. and You could also follow Rams Talk at Talk Rams. You could follow me at Steve Barrow. Feel free to treat, tweet me any thoughts on the podcast or any fantasy football questions or anything you got out there. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Rams Talk. Find the Rams Talk room on there. We'll interact with all you guys. And don't forget to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, and Spotify, which we are on now. And I forgot to mention that at the beginning of the show. Derek, if you're listening, please send me these updates so I can update my sheet. Thank you. All right. For Johnny Gomez, this is Steve Ribeiro. We will talk to you guys next week.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.